0: Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can. Get with me, get with me to Matthew chapter 9. Uh, we're doing a series right now looking at the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we're uh, allowing His ministry to shape our ministries, and so we're going to look at the call of Matthew today in Matthew chapter 9. So I will read the passage, we will pray, and then we will get right to work. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9 On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Let's pray. Lord, as we've opened your word together, we're asking that by your spirit you would speak over us. We're praying, Lord, that you would use this time to help your people know you better. And help us, God, to be people who are on mission with you for your glory. Amen. Amen. So if you look at this, we've got an unlikely disciple, we've got an unlikely community, and we've got an unlikable strategy. And so let's take those one at a time. The unlikely disciple is the man named Matthew. If you look at him, he's a sinner. Look at verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, from his previous ministry post, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. You've got this individual who leaves everything in that moment to join the community of followers of Christ, but he is an unlikely individual for this. He was a tax collector, so what was going on during that time was uh, Israel was under foreign jurisdiction. They were a vassal state. They reported to Rome, and Rome was the one who was kind of overseeing them, and they had kind of military people posted up there. Uh, and the the agreement was, as long as you pay your taxes to Rome, and as long as you kind of fall in line with what we're doing, you guys can maintain your identity. But if not, then we will destroy you. We, were, we will overwhelm you. Now, to see that plan through, they had to Uh, assign different people to different roles, and one of the things that they would do is they would find nationals, people who lived there, who would help with the project. So they would enlist them to become tax collectors. We need people who are on the ground, who are able to say, look, you owe this kind of money to Rome, to Caesar, and you need to pay that. And so they would uh, give people a job like that, and that's what Matthew was doing. Now, it was beneficial for him because he could he, he would get paid handsomely for this assignment, but can you imagine the reputation that this individual would have in the community? People would look at Matthew, and maybe I'm wrong, but just, you know, how do you guys enjoy paying taxes? How does that make you feel, right? And how do you think about those people who are in that role? Who, and, and so Matthew's a person who is unlikable, that I'm sure the community would look at him and say, we despise you. We do not like what you're doing. We don't like how you are benefiting from that, from that job. We don't like what it's doing to us. I mean, one of the complaints, as I was thinking about it this week, it might sound something like this. They, people might say to a, to a person like Matthew, you are ruining our country. You are ruining our country, and you are perverting our cultural heritage, You are a compromised individual. You are in alignment with Rome. And you, as one of us, have agreed to advance their agenda. You're ruining our country, and you're perverting our culture. Now, that sounds familiar. We'll we'll circle back to that in just a moment. But I'm just trying to point out that this person, Matthew, was somebody who was unlikely. And Jesus sees him there and invites him into this relationship with him. He says, follow me. And Matthew immediately got up and followed him. It reminds us of the aspect of the gospel and how it works. God meets us where we're at. He doesn't look at us and say, I see potential in you, but you need to go and make some reforms. Go turn in your two-week notice. Go make some kind of personal adjustments to your life. And when those things have happened, then come and find me and I will receive you into my community. No, he sees him as is, and he says, right now, as you are, come and follow me. This is the good news of the gospel. It meets us where we are, and so today, as you're thinking through what God might be speaking over you, there's a a tendency in many of us, before we understand the truth of the gospel, to feel like we have to get our lives in order. If God is going to receive us, then we need to do some things. There are some prerequisites that we have to check off before we could ever come and follow God. But God reminds us here today, come and follow me as is. You can come right now as you are. I will receive you. You will not stay the same. You will be transformed, but I will receive you right now as is. Now, people do not like that invitation. They do not like that aspect of it. There's another reason why they might not like Matthew, and that is he was a tax collector who many of them had probably interacted with. I didn't know it uh, until this week, but people were pointing out, commentators were pointing out that Matthew was probably the person at the tax booth that the commercial fishermen would have to deal with. So they were the ones who were paying taxes to Rome, and commercial fishermen would be you know, getting their catch and selling them to the markets and whatnot, but then they would have to pay m- probably... Matthew at his booth in order to make that arrangement official. And so I was thinking through if that's true, Jesus isn't just calling Matthew into a relationship with him. He's inviting him into a community of other followers that include Peter, James, and John, commercial fishermen. And you can imagine the kind of choice words they might have used to describe this man. When they're out on that boat, doing their job thinking through look at this catch but then we're going to have to go back and you know give a bunch to Matthew I'm sure they would look at him with disdain they would look at him and think this compromised individual this is so shady this is so dishonest this is so unhelpful but Jesus is inviting this individual Matthew into this community of faith and it reminds us of the scandal of grace the way that it works is God is able to take natural enemies and make them not only friends, but family. The grace of the gospel takes people who are unlike each other and brings them together in community and makes them relate to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a powerful reality that Jesus is reminding, of us, reminding us of here He is inviting people who are enemies to become followers of him and divine mercy welcome sinners like Matthew as long as they repent and trust in him. Everyone is welcome at the table. So let's do a little thought experiment right now so we understand the offense of what I'm saying. I want you to imagine your opponent right now, the people that you despise, people that you might call your enemy. And I want you to think through, uh, put them in your mind, and uh, just to be a little bit helpful, I think right now with how divided we are politically, it's probably just your political opponent, right? Somebody that views the world on the opposite side of the aisle from you, and you think about them, and you would say things, and this is where that, that language came from, you are ruining our country, and you are perverting our culture, right? That's the kind of language that we use when we describe a political enemy, you're ruining our country, and you are perverting our culture. Okay, now imagine if Jesus offers them the invitation, come and follow me. How does that make you feel? I mean, if we're being honest, it is offensive, and we look at that, and we go, no, core. I don't think that's how it works. Jesus wouldn't invite them. Look at what they're doing. That's exactly the point here, though. That's the response that is elicited when Matthew is invited into the community of faith. Jesus, this isn't okay. What business does Matthew have in our community? He's not a good person. He's doing harm. He's not following the ways of God. He's perverting who we are as the people of God. How dare you invite him into my community? That's what we're dealing with today, an unlikely disciple, and that is exactly what Jesus is doing here, but it's not just one disciple. It becomes a community. It's an unlikely community. Verse 10, look at this. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So it's not just Jesus and his disciples and this one guy. Now it becomes this entire community around a table. There are many tax collectors, and sinners who are eating with Jesus and his followers. So Jesus is having a meal with sinners, and that's one of the critiques of his ministry that religious people have. They they say he eats with, he dines with, he eats and drinks with with sinners and gluttons. I can't believe that he would do that. Those people are unclean. They're not the kind of people, they're not good people. Why does he spend time with them? Why does he welcome them? But this is a part of his ministry. He is receiving people who know themselves to be in the wrong. He gladly receives people who know themselves to be in the wrong. And there was a saying in the first century, and this is why it was so offensive that Jesus would do this. There was a saying in the first century that that basically indicated if you share a meal with somebody, it means that you're okay with them. In fact, it goes like this, to share a meal is to share life. That was a saying in the first century, and as Grant Osborne points out, it's kind of an alliance, a declaration, that that person was accepted into the group. That what Jesus was doing here wasn't just eating, but he was actually affirming them. Not necessarily their lifestyle, but but them as a person. He was eating with them and saying, I value you. You're not trash to me. You're not disposable to me. You're not unclean to me. You are a person made in the image of God, and I open my life to you. Now, that is offensive, but that is what God calls us to do as his people. The community of faith actually should be a people who are opening our lives to to others and to others that could be deemed sinners. We should be the kind of people who open our lives to others And one of the key strategies for it is to open our tables. Now, this has been an ambition of mine since the launch of our campus, and it is one of the hardest things that I've tried to lead us toward because it comes so unnaturally. I think that one of the key strategies for the mission of God is the the dining table. It's sharing meals with other people. Now, I'm gonna remind you of that today, and I know it's weird because we're going through a pandemic, but I will say this, there is a time coming where we will gather with people again without concern. If you just look at history, there are other pandemics, other illnesses, they eventually go away, people resume spending time together. That's coming, and so I wanna prepare us for that. When that happens, we wanna be the kind of church that opens wide our tables to people who are unlike us. That says one of the key strategies for advancing the mission of God is to eat with other people that's what Jesus did. He didn't start ministries. He didn't, you know, pursue outreach initiatives. What did he do? He ate with people. And as as unimpressive as that may seem, that really is a significant thing. To sit with somebody and share a meal with them is a primary place of mission. And I hope that we will be willing to do that. Um, the, The problem, though, is we love to institutionalize things. And so, when we think about church and we think about ministry, this is why it's been so hard to lead in this direction. The things that we tend to do are to say, I like that idea, let's formalize it. Let's put it on the church calendar. Let's find volunteers to staff it. Let's get, you know, the right people leading out in these kinds of initiatives. And that's not what we're talking about here we're not talking about making this a program or a ministry of our church. This is the ministry of our church. You don't need my permission to invite somebody over. You don't need me to make an announcement on Sunday morning about that. You can just go ahead and do that, right? If if we're willing to just kind of open our homes to other people and open our tables to other people, the mission of God will advance. And there's tremendous... Opportunity here, think about this. We eat something like 21 meals a week. 21 meals a week. What if we did, let's say, three meals that we were intentional with? A couple lunches during the week, maybe with colleagues, coworkers, and we just said, hey, I'm going to spend some time with them, getting to know them, sharing a meal with them, and maybe one evening a week where you open your dining table to other people. If the people of God would do that, imagine what could happen. The kinds of relationships that would be built out, the kinds of trust that would be fostered, the kinds of things that could result, it's, it really is incredible to think about. But instead, we often revert back to that programmatic way of thinking of, we need to start something, we need to, you know, build something, we need to have an event, we need to, you know, get the right leaders in place and invite everyone to that. No, this is just Let's open our tables. Let's do life on mission. Let's share meals with people and see what happens. Now, here's another part of it as well um, that I was thinking through this week. It it has to do with who we are as a church. We are a portable church that's been around for four years now. And um, one of the questions that that people will often ask me when we're talking about the future of the church is, will we ever have a permanent facility? Will we ever have a building? And my answer to that is, I, I believe at some point we will. I, I do believe that God's going to open up a way for us to have uh, you know, a, an established facility that we'll be able to you know, get creative with and do certain ministry out of. And, and, and I would be excited about that. But, but r- right now, let me just say, the church has a lot of property. We already own a lot of property. You go, well, what do you mean? everything you own is on a, has wheels on it. Like we, don't, we don't have a ton of stuff, but the truth is we own homes. We already pay mortgages. The church has a lot to offer, and so what if we would leverage what we already have for the sake of the mission of Jesus Christ? Again, I think there's tremendous potential to allow God to use our lives and the ordinary stuff of our homes and our tables to help people come to know the saving love of God. Well, this unlikely community goes even further than that. What I'm saying is hard enough, but this is another step beyond that. Not only should we open our homes to people and our tables to people and share meals in that way, we should actually be willing to go to their table. Jesus didn't invite Matthew to his home. He didn't open up his table. He went to him. Now, that's even more scandalous because that means you actually have to begin to get humble enough to say, I'm not the helper here. I'm not the hero here. I'm a recipient. If I'm going to go to their home, that means they're going to serve me. Well, that's even more offensive because we want to be the savior. We want to, okay, I'm going to invite you into my home. I'm comfortable with that. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to feed you and you're going to be blessed by me. But here's where the gospel takes us. It takes us low, and we say, no, I'm going to go to your territory. I'm going to go into your home, and I'm going to receive gladly from you your hospitality. Now, when that starts happening, that is an open life and an open door for the gospel to advance. So that's what's happening here. Jesus and his disciples go into the home of Matthew and Matthew's friends. Now, this is very, very offensive. So look at it here toward the end. It's an unlikable way of Christ. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't like it, but I'm saying this is an offensive reality. And so often it's met with complaint. Look at verse 11. When the Pharisees, the religious people, saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he do that? That's so wrong. That's, that's countercultural to what we're accustomed to. Good people need to hang out with good people, and those people, they're on their own. They keep making these poor choices. Why does Jesus do that? What's the the subtext there? The subtext is they are self-righteous. They they look at them, and they think, they look at their own hearts, and they go, I'm good, and those people are bad, so I need to hang out with good people, and they just need to stay in their enclave of bad people. It's self-righteousness. It's believing yourself to be on the good guy team and others to be on the bad guy team. And the, the Bible actually destroys those categories. If you read the Bible, it tells us those are pretty messy and mixed up. The best of us can also be the worst. The worst of us can also be the best. People are a mixed bag. Yes, there, is, there are plenty of good things that we can find in the world and in any unique individual, but there are also sinful things in every person, including the saints, including the people that we would look up to. And so here we find the Pharisees complaining, and the the essence of their complaint comes from that realm of self-righteousness. So I want to show you a quote here, and actually I'll paraphrase the beginning of it and explain it, and then I'll take you through the whole thing. But there's a, um, a, a teacher at Yale, and he's a philosophy teacher and a theologian, and and he said something in a book that he wrote, and I'll give you the the paraphrased version of the front end of it. He, he said basically that forgiveness doesn't work when I look at my enemy and I exclude them from the community of humanity. When I look at somebody and I say, you're so bad, I don't even really view you as a person. And he says, and forgiveness fails also because... I exclude myself from the community of sinners. You see what's going on there? That's that self-righteous thing where we look at other people and we go, you're so bad, you're subhuman. You're demonic. And then we look at ourselves and we go, but you know, that's, I'm just a good, I'm an innocent person. I'm a, good, I'm a good guy. When that happens, there's no chance at relationship. So let me show you the whole quote here. This is Miroslav Volf, he says, Forgiveness flounders because I exclude the enemy from the community of humans, even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. But no one can be in the presence of the God of the crucified Messiah for long without overcoming this double exclusion, without transposing the enemy from the sphere of the monstrous into the sphere of the shared humanity and transposing oneself from the sphere of proud innocence into the sphere of common sinfulness. Do you understand what he's saying there? When you spend time with Jesus, you begin to recognize, I too am a sinner in need of God's grace. And I can't look at everyone else and say they're bad people. I need to recognize that there's this dignity there. There's a shared experience there. They're a human being made in the image of God, and I am also a struggling sinner. And when that happens, you move toward one another. There's greater likelihood of beautiful things happening, but When you are religious like the Pharisees, this is hard stuff. This is really, it goes against the grain of what we think is appropriate because we have done so much to try to be good people. And then we look down on anyone else who's not trying as hard as us. So when Jesus hears that complaint, here's how he replies. He advances the conversation in this direction, verse 12 and 13. On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He's saying, here's the priority of my ministry. I didn't come just to kind of affirm people in their goodness. I came to help them with their sin sickness. I came to be the physician, the great physician who will deal with the greatest need that people would ever have. I have come to find people in their brokenness and need and to help them. That's what Jesus is all about, and he is saying to these religious leaders, he's not saying, you guys are just fine. You're healthy, you're well, so you don't even need to worry about this stuff. No, he's, he's actually critiquing them in this moment. He's saying, you think you're so healthy, but you actually have a lesson to learn right now. You need to go and study that Bible that you love. You need to go listen to what it says here. It says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting a prophet who was critiquing the ministry of the people of God. They had all of their religious activities, but they didn't care about people. There was no mercy in it. And God said through that other prophet, just shut the door of the church, the temple. Because all that's happening there is just noisy nothingness to me. You see, Jesus is saying, I've come to deal with those who are sin sick and you don't see yourself in that category. You need to go and learn that you are sick as well. There are no healthy people under God's careful examination, but there are lots of people who think they are. That's a, a commentator who said that. Sin is everywhere. That's what the Bible tells us, start to finish. 1 Kings 8:46. there is no one who does not sin. Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Jesus himself will teach this same lesson a little bit later in the Gospel of Matthew when somebody comes to him and this person is a really good person trying hard to obey the laws and the commands of God and he replies to this individual in this way, Matthew 19, 17. Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good and he's using that word good as a synonym of right or righteousness. Saying, why are you asking me about things that are good. There there is only one who is good. And he's talking about God. Everyone else, every other person deals with this condition of sin. There is only one who is truly righteous. And so Jesus here is showing us this unlikable way of dealing with humanity, and it is to come near to those who are sinful. It's to draw near to them and to love them and to care for them and to help them. And his people then need to be on board with this mission of his. We need to be willing to go close and to share meals and to care about people who could easily be labeled sinners. So as we wrap up this morning, I want to remind you of where we've been and maybe give you a few ideas for what God might be doing in this moment. But We've seen this unlikely disciple in Matthew. Somebody who you would say, he doesn't deserve to be on the team. But Jesus calls him where he is, and his life is forever changed by it. We see this unlikely community that rally around, that are magnetized to the person and work of Jesus Christ. They, they, they spend time with him, and they enjoy it. They feel comfortable there. And then we see this unlikable way of Jesus, which is to say, he meets people where they're at and he loves them until they're different. And religious people have a really 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 hard time with that. So three ideas for us, three different kind of lanes of application. Some of us need to repent today of our righteousness. That's a weird saying, but some of us believe that we're good because we do good things. Some of us believe that we have earned God's favor because we've tried so hard at it. We've come to church We read read our Bibles, we do different churchy kinds of things, and we think that that's the reason why God likes us. And we actually need to repent of our righteousness. That goodness is not good enough. The only way to be acceptable before God is to place your faith in Jesus Christ for all that he offers us. Some of us need to repent of our righteousness. That would actually change us today. If we would say, I have been trying so hard to, to prove my worth to you, God. But today I I recognize, I remember that the way that I'm acceptable before you is faith in Jesus Christ. I repent of my righteousness. Some of us just need to be aware of those tendencies. Some of us are just being reminded today that we have these tendencies in us to be self-righteous, that having been accepted in Christ, we have this kind of default mode of the human heart, which is to go back to, I'm a good person and other people might be bad people. And we need to be aware of that and and conscious of it so that we can fight against it. But finally, the third application for us today as a church and the one that I hope that we'll embrace is we have an invitation from the Lord himself to join him in his ministry to sinners and sufferers. He invites us to be a part of this grand mission of God to open our lives and open our hearts and open our tables to to people made in his image that God loves, that God wants to redeem and rescue. And you and I could actually be a part of that. So I hope that you will join Jesus in his ministry for his glory. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would continue to search our hearts in this moment. We admit how easy it is to consider ourselves to be good people and look at other people and think, man, they're just wrong and bad. Would you please open our eyes to the dignity that you've placed in every single person? Help us to have your love and your compassion your willingness to go near and love and serve and be served by, validate and dignify people around us. Lord, as a church, we want to commit to that mission and that strategy of being available. I pray that we would be the kind of church where this stuff is just happening. It's not being programmed for, it's not being coerced, but we're just willing to, follow the way of Jesus, and love people well, and try to introduce them to our Lord and Savior. Please make us effective at that in your name. Amen. Amen.